0: I can't wait for you to meet my friend, Ashley Murphy, founder of Neat Method. But before I introduce you, I want to let you know that in a couple of weeks, I'll be kicking off my first ever small business marketing bootcamp. Just this week, we wrapped up a full-on social media challenge teaching you how to get the most out of social in 2022. In February, our workshop will wrap that all up into a strategic marketing approach to grow your business. A lot of you listening have limited resources, both people and budget, and wonder how you're going to make an impact and drive sales. My Small Business Marketing Bootcamp is going to help you get started and also help you make it happen. Check out the link in my show notes for more or visit lindsaypinchuk.com to register. So today's guest is another special one as Ashley Murphy and I grew our companies alongside one another before we both were acquired. Nearly 10 years ago, we sat in a Starbucks together talking about how to expand and scale our service-based businesses. In thinking about who to have on Dear Founder, Ashley was within my first five asks as someone who's been there with me on my journey from the start. An organization expert and enthusiast, Ashley Murphy co-founded Neat Method in 2010 with Molly Graves to bring a fresh face to the organizing industry. A pioneer in luxury home organizing, Neat Method is a lifestyle service committed to providing more luxurious and smartly appointed living spaces. Over the past decade, the brand has grown to become the largest organizing network in North America, with more than 90 locations in all major cities throughout the United States and Canada. In August 2020, Neat Method further expanded their reach with the launch of a robust product collection for kitchen, pantry, closet, bathroom, and beyond. They are the home organizers of choice for so many as they bring their trust and integrity to each and every job site across North America. Please come on in and meet my friend, today's guest, Ashley Murphy.
1: Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, you know, just loving this gloomy day. It's so good to see you. You too. It's been way too long. Way, way, way I actually don't even want to know the last time. That's how long it's been.
0: It was funny because when I was thinking about, you know, who I wanted to have on the podcast and I was thinking about just people I've known for a long time who like I've grown up in terms of business alongside and Uh you were like in the top, you know, five people because like me, you started in 2010 and I... I was thinking about this and I was like, oh my God. I remember when Ashley and I actually can't even remember the other girl's name, when you came to my house and you like did my office.
1: <laughs> yes. I but mean quite even going back before that, I remember when I moved back to Chicago and I met with you at Starbucks on Armitage. And that was like our very first meeting <laughs> where I was like, "So how, crazy. How are you doing this? Like, how do you scale? Like, blah, blah,
0: blah. I mean, and that was like before, I mean, I probably had like a couple cities then with Bump Club. And I think you were trying to figure out like Uh what the franchise arrangement was going to be, or if it was going to be a franchise, I know there was like a whole, and we'll get into that obviously, but yeah. Yeah. And like, now here we are, we're both in the suburbs. (laughs) Okay. So basically I want you to kick us off and tell us how did you get to where you are? How did you start the neat method? I mean, like I just said, when I first met you, I think you were in Chicago and maybe like one or two places. And now you have over 70 locations yep. around the country. Even more and than that. We're at, we're at
1: 97. Oh my God. So what I read online was actually not even. Up yeah. And I think we need to update our number maybe on the homepage. <laughs> so take us through that journey. How did this happen? Yeah. So, I mean, really, I had lived in Chicago and moved to San Francisco for my husband's job. And that's actually where I met Molly. My business partner was in San Francisco. We both were there kind of uprooted from what we knew in Chicago, both leaving our very young careers at the time and more or less kicked it off, like hit it off, I should say together where we were like oh, well, what are you planning on doing here in San Francisco? And what are, now that you're not going to be teaching, like, what does this look like? And realized that we both had this passion for living this organized way of life and decided to just kick off like, okay, let's just become business partners. Let's try this. What do we have to lose? So it started as just this side hustle hobby, Um, that we did not necessarily expect clients to completely like buy into, um, at the time the industry really wasn't on the map. Um, there were not, there were not organizers at least like that were out there that we knew of that were treating this more like this very luxury service that we would go into clients' homes They did not need to be present. In fact, we encouraged them not to be. And we would come in and we would do everything that was necessary to make their home as organized and functional as possible. Um, And what we quickly learned is that it was a a really niche service. There weren't other people doing it. The way we were approaching it was very unique. And so it kind of lit the fire for us to really developed the the concept and the business model of, okay, well, if you go in with a team of people and the client's not involved, like how does that leave them feeling? How does that leave their home functioning? So that's really like all our goal was in those first couple of years. Like let's see what San Francisco has in store for us. Let's see what we can accomplish, who we can work with. And it kind of surprised us. And I think it maybe even surprised clients where we were like, yeah, like go to Napa. We can take care of this. Like no big deal. We can move you in without you there. And it was always like in our minds, like, well, could you expand this concept? Like, could this be something where you then take this into other major cities? Like, what could that look like? So, I moved back to Chicago a couple years after, um, which is when I got to meet you, um, and took everything we learned, all the tools, all the trials and errors of those first couple years, and redid them and tried them again here in Chicago. And I think, again, we're pleasantly surprised that, wow, like people will pay for this service. Uh, you know, what? What does that look like? how How do we grow another team? How do we find people to work for us? And really, it kind of snowballed from there uh, through I would say mostly through social media. We had many other women reaching out saying, "Wow, like I grew up being super organized, and I would love to make this my career as well. Can you teach me how you did that? Um you know, here in washington d c or Dallas or Scottsdale, like we started getting these calls, and we were like, "Oh wow, like we won it before that we just kind of came up with like a concept and a business model, and we tried it, so do we have it in us to do that again and so now we kind of laugh back to two thousand and thirteen when we launched our what well, technically was our third market, but definitely was someone where we were like it wasn't it wasn't Molly and I doing it, and now to Kind of reflect back on that, and see how much it's evolved, and how much we have actually really developed our training and and getting people all across well North America at this point um, able to start this same business and turn their passion into this is kind of been what the career path has changed to I guess um, so one of the things that
0: I think is really interesting is. I mean, obviously you have a service-based business and you just said, you know, we have to train these people on our method, like walk us through the steps on how a service-based business can scale. Because I think that it's a common question. I I actually was on a call this morning with someone who offers a very unique service here in Chicago. And I said, you know, this is something you could ultimately create a blueprint for and have other people run in other cities. And, you know, that's what I did with Bump Club. And initially, like, I, I did let people run it in other cities. And then we kind of retook control and, and yeah, reorganized, let's say. But, you know, I know it's really hard to give up control.
1: Well, sure. Especially as a type A organized person. Right. <laughs> and like you yeah. are like in what you are doing, you are
0: it's the epitome of yeah. giving up control.
1: Um, You know, I think the first probably call it three to five were a lot harder. And there was a lot more in the beginning. It was all personal connections. The women that we did connect and launch with, it was always like a six degrees of separation or probably even like two degrees of separation. There was, we all kind of knew each other. So the trust was there as time has gone on. I think I would say it was still probably in our first 20 markets we realized it wasn't so much about the actual service meaning the method behind the service it was a lot more about who the person was and what they represented how professional how poised how much they could get into clients homes and 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 actually like leave with a really great reputation we realized that mattered a lot more the organizing we could teach Like that's easy. You can't teach someone how to behave and how to their personality. Like you can't do that. So, so much of where our shift or our mindset went to was like, can you actually just hang out with this person? Is this somebody that we know can go into a very, I mean, what the service we provide is of the utmost, uh, I guess, intimate that you could even think of. Like we really see everything that people own how they live uh you know we we joke where it's like we see the skeletons in the closet because you really are like going into every inch of their their life in a way you know, from files to, you can, you can think about it. So, well, I remember
0: when you guys came in to do my office, you were like, okay, go away. And, <laughs> and we're gonna, we're gonna tear apart your office. And I remember I had boxes of like taxes and papers and like, you went through everything. And I, and I inherently trusted you to do that.
1: Right. So how our biggest like thing was, how can we make every client trust that person. So so I think that that has always been our main focus. So even, you know, we have a over a two month long interview process, over a two month long training program. There is a lot of time just spent trying to, you know, make sure that the professionalism is there more or less. Um and you have to be able to be pretty uh unfazed and pretty humble by, you know, what you see and it can't I mean, we're, we're working with the lifestyles of the rich and famous. So you really have to take that all in and keep it to yourself. Like the discretion is a big deal.
0: How did you guys end up um, like organizing your expansion? Because the last time we spoke, you were trying to decide if you were going to do a franchise or if you were going to have employees. And I don't even know the answer to that. I don't, I, and I think that's a really important thing too, for people who are looking to scale a business to kind of weigh those options and what yeah. those
1: options mean. So as as other female interested entre- entrepreneurs started contacting us, we we never wanted to control them. Even though yes, you know, you could you could joke that as type A women, we were control freaks, but we never wanted to control them. We really wanted this to feel super empowering and very independent. Because that's what we did as as females, right? We wanted to give others that opportunity. Yeah, we wanted other people to be like, oh, this is amazing. I can have control over my own career and it can be successful and I can truly cater it and make it what I want for my actual work-life balance. So in the beginning, we really just offered a licensing opportunity. So they were licensing our brand name. But beyond that, there wasn't a lot of hand-holding. I mean, we gave them examples of here's what happened in this scenario in San Francisco and this one in Chicago, but it was never like you have to do your financials this way. You have to do this this way, you know, marketing, et cetera, et cetera. So as time went on, um, so our first expansion was, I mean, if you don't- can
0: I interrupt you and ask you something about that? When you first did that and they had the licensing agreement- Was it something that you like, they got support through headquarters, like on your website and like, did you
1: like, or was it just kind of like a logo and they they did, they did. But the website you see today is obviously like nothing. What it was then they did. um, We helped them with marketing and it was, it was a lot of troubleshooting. It was a lot of, Hey, here's a client scenario. How do I, how would you organize this? Those first, I mean, really the first 10 markets are what has evolved. Like they are part of helping us grow what you see today because we realized where they needed support, where they didn't need support. So, so 2013 was our first expansion in 2017. I think the number at that time was around 23 markets and um, we were acquired by a product manufacturing company. And at the time of acquisition, I think, you know, it's a family-owned business that acquired us. I think it just genuinely lit a fire under us to just dot all of our I's and cross our T's. Like we just wanted to be as official of a business as we could. And there was something in the franchise word that we were like, oh, it's time. Like it's time to take some control. It's time so like really so at the time them. of
0: the acquisition, though you were still licensing this out, and there was was there like a
1: blueprint that people got like was there it was, but it was really loose it was very um there was absolutely I mean, we definitely had like a handbook that they could access that had different chapters with different categories of uh, topics um, but it was never a like. This is how you, like, officially, this is how you do it. Now there's, like, rules and regulations. You don't go outside of scope. This is how you do it. So walk us through what
0: you can, because I know that there are probably things you can and cannot say. I get it. But, you know, the founder dream is really the acquisition. And so, and congratulations, because, I you know, I know what it is like to to embark on that. I know it is... um, really intense when you're going through it and you know i i would love for you to share what you can about that acquisition process and also i think it's really important to point out like why did this company want you like what was it that they that they wanted because they're a product company so i i think it's really interesting
1: to hear these these kinds of stories so so oh my gosh i could talk on this for so long um So the family, so it's a, it's a family owned business. They are, it's like a son, father, uncle that they have owned their business for like 75 years. So it's, you know, been like under the family umbrella. So as a family, we like, they just, they are family to us to this day where it's awesome we oftentimes joke with them or kind of tease them like, well, why did you acquire us? Like what was the end goal? Um, For us, it's an easy answer. We wanted them because we wanted to manufacture products. Their products that they currently manufacture, they they are not meat method products. Now they run an extremely successful business, but we are a like super luxury company they're more kind of catering to, we we kind of use a terminology that they're catering, catering to like the big box retailers, the Walmarts of the world. You know, we would never envision Meat Method products like probably in the Walmart
0: of the world, you know? And you, in terms of entering this acquisition, like you very much wanted to manufacture your own products so that you could bring them into your customers and they could essentially buy them, and it was just another revenue stream and an extension of your brand.
1: hundred percent. So they, you know, for for them, I think it was just a really they they wanted to be innovative. They wanted to get a, you know in with a company that was completely different than them. Um, but I think we are a like side hustle for them. Let's put it that way. Um, so it very much still is our baby. They applaud us. They cheer us along. Um, Before acquisition, we had several conversations with other people, other entrepreneurs that had gone through an acquisition. And it was really interesting to hear all the various like woes, pros and woes, we'll call it, where it was like, well, here is what could be really great. Here's what could be really bad. Um, And it's, it's kind of been all of the above. Like you definitely emotionally go through things. Like there's a lot of changes. Luckily we have stayed in control. So there hasn't been a lot of like, well, you now have this to the, this is now your goals. Like as, as the owner and founder, this is what you have to accomplish. If that isn't happening, which truly I've learned is a huge blessing in terms of acquisitions. Um, but i had a guy friend who's a big mergers and acquisition person and he was like there you're either going to go through an acquisition where they're going to be completely hands off or the complete opposite and both you will not like because when you're selling the majority of your company you kind of want somebody you know we were really wanting like come in with like major strategy for us like here we are two you wanted resources yeah, we, here we are, two Midwestern girls. I mean, I, we joke with each other. We're like, oh, we're just two blondes from Chicago that really just kind of were flying by the seat of our pants. Like, we wanted there to be a little bit more business strategy. And I would say now, so we're four years post-acquisition, and I would say what I have learned as a founder and entrepreneur is that I was a lot more capable than I thought, And that I actually, you know, my business partners and I, we really can, we're scrappy. Like we're really like, yeah, no, we'll figure it out. Even if it's the most unattainable thing, like we can come up with how to, we're resourceful. Well, that's why
0: you are where you are. And I think that's important to say that because, you know, I think a lot of times founders see some, they see one thing and they don't realize that behind that one thing they're seeing, there is a lot of scrap and bootstrapping and grit and a successful, good founder and a good entrepreneur, as you know, really has their hand in everything and knows how to solve problems, you know, across the board, of even course. if it's not a strong suit.
1: Of course. But as any human goes through in any career path, I think it's easy to sit there and be like, I don't know. Like, are we doing the right thing? Like, so I think why we wanted the acquisition was because we were hoping there would be this other, like other brains behind the operation. And I'm not saying that there aren't, but I'm definitely saying like, oh, wow. Like I didn't quite realize we were the reason all this was happening and we still are the reason, which I think is why. It's still very much my baby. And it's a bit of
0: imposter syndrome, right? Because like to you, you were like, well, like I want them because they have resources. And they were like, well, we want them because they've built this entire brand from nothing. And you don't realize that sometimes, right? Until it's like you're in it.
1: Well, you're in, well, yeah, you're always so in the weeds that sometimes it's hard to step back and be like, oh, I mean, I did this, right? Like like, I built
0: this. this. To I this built this day. magazine that was in, or I built this company that was in Vogue magazine. I remember when you were in Vogue and I was like, oh, ah!
1: <laughs> so yeah, I, you, it is one of those things where you're like, you don't necessarily always realize what's going on. Cause you're just, you've got your head down and you're just making stuff happen. Um, so, so yeah, going through it, it's over. I mean, it's, we did it. It's been four years and, um, I mean the growth since I don't, I don't know if the growth was majority because of the fire that was lit from our own, like personal doing where it was like, like, all right, you know, we were acquired like time to put on our big girl pants and make this something even greater than we ever expected. So I don't know how, I don't know where all the growth has been. I mean, there's definitely factors, but, um, were you looking, were you shopping it around or did they come to you? No. In fact, I mean, some, uh, you and I could talk about this all day long. I'm sure as any acquisition goes, was it too early? I don't know. Like blah, blah, blah. You get it. So no, it had nothing to do with us. We honestly, when we got contacted, we thought it was spam. <laughs> Me too. I got a
0: LinkedIn message and I reply, at, I got two different LinkedIn messages and like, yeah. A couple of months and I actually replied, which like I never do. And that's how I sold my, that's how I connected to sell my business, which like, I agree with you. It's like,
1: it, and now like looking back on it, now that we know them so well, it's kind of just like, oh, I mean, how else would that have gone down? But when they reached out, they were like, we might be interested. We're like, well, we're not like, we're, I don't know. Like we're, we're good. <laughs> and then once we, I mean, it was definitely like a courting experience. Like we were basically Getting to know each other and flying to Memphis and trying to figure out what this looked like, trying to figure out like our biggest concern was that we never wanted it to change for the current 23 Meet method representatives because they believed in us. They believed in this brand. And if we were going to change that on them, we could not fathom that. So that was our biggest thing. We were like, that cannot change. So everything that has happened since then has all been with that in mind.
0: So the acquisition happens, you have these 23 neat method representatives, then what happens? What happens to them? And then what happens to the growth? And how did you get to the 90 plus?
1: Um, so nothing really happened to them. Their licensing agreement, honestly, the franchise agreement says almost identical verbiage. So now
0: they're franchises.
1: They're all franchises.
0: And it's a little Um, bit more like probably like robust in terms of their like actual like handbook and what they're supposed to do, right? So
1: we then felt like we could actually put some rules. We could actually say like, here are sales goals. Like we never said that before. So, and they all actually, everybody kind of liked it. Like it was kind of, it felt like, oh, this is actually what I've wanted is for you to tell me exactly what to do. Off. Yeah. So, um, uh, 23 at the end of 2017, you know, here we are at the end of 2021 and I think it's 98 at this point. Um, so it's kind of crazy. Um, and we rolled out products. Uh, I guess it's kind of been a soft launch two years ago. Official direct to consumer was August of 20, uh, 20. Yeah. So it's been a little over a year. Um, what are that, the products? Where are they sold? Yeah. So all again, you know, we essentially started another company because we were like, okay, like let's develop products. Um, even just finding the manufacturers, you know, Whitmore is used to producing like the plastics of the world. We did not want to produce that. We wanted the very like, well curated, well-made, very good for the environment, you know, as best as we could be for the environment. Like it's, it's very luxury. The aesthetic of everything is very elevated there. I would say it's far superior to the typical organizing products you see out there, Um, so we went live in August of last year, and um it's been amazing. So they are on our website through a shop on our website, and we have recently been picked up at both Bloomingdales and Anthropology, and there are several more on the way. That's amazing. Uh, Congratulations. I mean, that is like amazing. I mean, Lynn, if you think I I like this is where I do have to pinch myself because I, if you had asked me. When you and I sat for coffee. Well, I was just going to ask you, like, I, I mean, when you were sitting like, at the Starbucks at to and Hoyne, like, did you, did you ever know. think? <laughs> no, but if someone said, like, what would be your ultimate dream if you were to be your own, like, retailer, like, selling products? Really, my ultimate dream. would I wouldn't have said anthropology. I would have been, like, I mean, to be able to say that, like, our products are well they're designed well enough to be in these types of stores. The Nordstrom, the Bloomingdales, the I mean, that that blew, that would blow my mind. And here we are. And it's like it's kind of going by so quickly. Like you're it's just happening that I'm like, I can't even stop to think about this right now.
0: <laughs> so, like from a business standpoint, like how much now is focused on like the franchisees and how much is focused on like the product? Because it's ultimately
1: another revenue stream that you guys they are. It it's 50-50. They are two. Our bread and butter are our franchisees. Like we, that is where we started. That is how we were built. Um, They are our number one priority. Um, So, I mean, our focus is on them for sure. But I think we are pleasantly surprised that all of a sudden this like product side actually is generating revenue where we're like, oh gosh, I mean, we kind of thought that was just going to be a fun little sidekick how long know. have the products been like in the works so for three years probably so um,
0: before prior to the pandemic yeah yeah yeah
1: okay. so now navigating covid navigating well that was going to be
0: my my question to you i i also wanted to ask you like i mean you provide a service where you go into people's homes obviously that was halted for some time it was but, but I, mean, I was going to say, but I'm sure then it exploded when things opened beyond,
1: up. So it was very much halted. I mean, you can imagine the states that halted it more than others. Um, and it now, I mean, our growth is like off the charts. So I, people just, it's, it's happening all across the home industry from like furniture purchasing to- Oh my God, you can't get a couch anywhere. Moving to- you know, to renovating, to
0: whatever that is. Because people are investing in their homes now that they were like more than ever now that they were stuck in them for so long. Yeah,
1: they're also not spending money traveling. So I guess we'll put our funds towards this. And I mean, a lot of people are still working from home. So I think there was this like quick, like, oh my gosh, I can't spend another minute inside my house with it being chaotic. Um, so that has skyrocketed the The desire for beautiful products is definitely feeling like people are wanting that um so it's it's crazy. Are you seeing the growth
0: the explosion in the amount of customers each of your franchisees is getting or the number of franchises or both? Are you seeing like a lot more inquiries for franchises too
1: um actually, I would say. I would say it's pretty even with requests for franchising, um, the client inquiry, like clients that want our service and the amount that they spend is what has gone up. But I'd say it's pretty, I think we're about the same with 2019, 20, 20 and 21. Oh my <laughs> God. I am. I'm so proud of you. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> I am. Like I was, th- I was thinking about this cause I, I want to mention this too. So. This is like such an aside, but it's just it's just worth the mention because it's like how the world works. So I want to mention the fact that Ashley and Molly met in San Francisco on Union Street and in, in uh-huh. a store, right?
1: Uh-huh. And
0: that store was next to Sprout San Francisco, which is a, a company that I worked with greatly when um, I was doing Bump Club and. Um, Ashley and Molly became friends with the girls from Sprout and like I am still friends with some of the girls from Sprout including Suzanne the owner and um, two of the girls now live in Chicago very close to me in the suburbs and like this like little world comes up uh, like very often and it and it, it just really goes to show how connections really run deep oh yeah and how you can find business partners and, you know, other relationships in the least likely of places,
1: right? I know. Well, and I think that I really, I mean, I think it's still somewhat unique to be a female entrepreneur. And I think that when there are female entrepreneurs that are uh, easy to be around and, and kind, and I think then you make those connections and you're like, yeah, like we're we're in this together. Like it is not easy to all of a sudden like develop something and then try to keep it going. Um, so having just a a team of friends and cheerleaders helps a ton. <laughs> totally. Um,
0: the other thing I wanted to mention, and I, I wrote this down when you first started talking, and I remembered this. I remembered this from years ago, and which is why I want to bring it up. I remember when you were in my house. And we were talking, like, you and I always kind of, like, talk shop, even when, like, no matter what we were doing, even if we were just, like, out and about. And I remember asking you about, like, you know, well, who's, like, buying your services? You know what I mean? And I remember very vividly you telling me how, like, young, single bachelor men were, like, a huge part of your, your demographic. And, yes, it makes so much sense, of course. But at the time, I remember being like, really? Like, you know what I mean? It, it really took me a while to think about it. And so I wanted to ask you, like, are you still seeing, like, your so, services being
1: received across so demographics? That's that? So that really, I would say, was our San Francisco demographic. So when I met you, it was really just Chicago and San Francisco. With San Francisco, that makes a lot of sense because totally. there's all these like young guys With that a lot are of money for startups making a ton of money. So they had the financial means to pay for our type of service, and they were so busy that their house really was never in order. Um, I mean, we used to joke we're like, "We'll get your house organized, and then you'll get a girlfriend." Like, let us let us make your house look better, and things will things will all fall into place. Um, It really, now we kind of talk about our business in regions. It does make a difference in terms of like, where are we talking like you know, Florida, where it's a lot of retirees and, and people that, you know, it's, that's an older demographic of clientele that all have the financial means. Then you do go into like the Manhattans, the LA, like it's all a little different. The landscape is a little different in each region. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to try to figure out. Well, and how do you
0: support each of these regions? And you have, you know, you have these 90 plus franchisees, like how do you support them in, in, by way of marketing and tips for marketing because they are so different and geographically they're, they're servicing different people and different climates and different types of homes.
1: Yep. Yep. The good news is, is that even though the clientele demographic wise might vary a bit, um, the resources to get the clients does not. So our number one resource um, in terms of partnerships are still to this day interior designers, realtors, moving companies, closet installers. Like that is still the same across all fronts. And it's up to the franchisees to find those relationships, right? Correct. So we still give them the blueprint, like how to get out there, what to say, how many partnerships we, you know, we want you to reach out to like you're cold calling a lot in that first 12 to 24 months for sure. Um, so if, so all that stays the same. Um, so we kind of give them, yes, that like playbook, I guess, but it's, we then learn from them, like who are your clients? Wow. Okay. That does seem a little different in Florida versus Detroit, Michigan. Um, so yeah, I mean, we definitely marketing wise, you'll love this, but we just recently in the last year started spending towards marketing before that. Welcome to grassroots. Update. Okay.
0: So let's talk about that for a second, because you know, i wholeheartedly believe in grassroots efforts. And that's how I started my business. I didn't spend a dime on marketing until, I don't know, until we actually had like tickets to sell and like, we had to like meet sponsors needs and we, we budgeted for that. Yeah, and even yeah, then yeah. it was not a big part. It was not a big spend. It's not like I, we never went out like, you know, guns a blazing with, with our marketing budget. Tell us a little bit about your strategies from a grassroots standpoint, because I think that what you did and your your methods, and I know some of them, so I don't want to like, like spoil your answer. (laughs) I I think that your methods really can translate across industry. And especially when you're talking to entrepreneurs and founders about how to get out there with your business initially.
1: Um, You know, I just, I think for us, we found that Every avenue of our business, so call it um, developing the partnerships, uh, developing the clientele, like all of that I found along the way that if it was an organic situation, it always worked out better versus this like, so even let's actually use for, for me right now, the franchisee side. There was a moment in time where we were like, okay, we should run ads in all the cities that we want to find a franchisee. And we did do a couple, it wasn't a lot of money spent, but we definitely tried a couple and we definitely got some applicants through the door. And we were like, gosh, this just doesn't feel as natural. It doesn't feel. Cause that- you were used to like
0: asking your network, like, do you know someone in Birmingham, Michigan that
1: I mean, not even Lindsay, like really, we waited for people to come to us because in our minds, if, if other females were, were putting it in their own head that they wanted to be an entrepreneur, they wanted to take this risk. They probably already went down the rabbit hole a bit of what that would entail. So it wasn't like, so when you said to them like, oh, well, this is, this is how much the franchise costs. And this is what, like, it wasn't quite they'd already thought like, okay, I'm going to leave my old career and do this versus like, you're trying to plant that seed. You're trying to convince somebody why they would want to be an entrepreneur and why that would be, you know, you
0: were kind of giving, you were giving people who wanted to be an entrepreneur, almost a a way to be an entrepreneur, but like light, it was like, like entrepreneur light. Like they didn't have to start from the ground up and like, correct, really the nuts and bolts, but you were giving them the blueprint of a business that they could run and be an yes. entrepreneur, and, their and own for, entrepreneur.
1: And what we discovered is that when they kind of came to that conclusion themselves, those women are still with us to this day. That does so, not surprise me. So that's why we were like, well, yeah, I mean, this is just who we are. Take it or leave it. Like you just it, you decide, kind of a thing. So same thing. Same thing goes for our clients. When the relationship and the rapport is not, the client comes up with. I want this type of service because my neighbor just had it and she spoke so highly of you. And now I want your service. So yes, it obviously makes sense that we are a very like referral based business, especially with as intimate as we are going into your home and learning a lot about you. Um, So that's why it, it honestly, it just kept working. So it was, it never felt like we had to go above and beyond and set aside budgets for this. But
0: I want to point out a couple of things that you just said that are really important. You use the words natural and organic many, many times. And I think that that is so important to point out to the people who are listening to this and, and, you know, they're starting their own business. You don't want to force something. Right. Exactly. You don't want to be inauthentic and you don't want to like, you don't want to like have to really hard sell them on a service like the one you're providing them like and and you shouldn't have to because you just be you and be natural and be organic right. and like right
1: right and it, and it will come and I think like we just very early on learned that it worked where we were like kind of my example of Molly and I just the two of us in San Francisco and we were like wow like some really big name entrepreneurs themselves or or tech people we were like wait, you, you trust us. You want us to cut, like it surprised us as well. And then the confidence was built and we just knew that we had something good. And we knew that we could actually make a difference in how people were living.
0: So what are you spending money on marketing wise?
1: And what is it now that
0: you're like, okay, now we need to have a budget.
1: Yeah. So now it's a little different because of the product side. So we are now doing a lot of, you know, the Facebook, Instagram ads and that kind of thing. Um, we did a huge, huge partnership with American express this year. And that was our first, like, all right, like, let's just see how this unfolds. So it was their like top, you know, card holder type situation. And it was, um, it worked out really well. And now we're like, okay, what's the next one? Um, but it was scary. Like when it was happening, we're like, oh my God, this is so many people that are like, Redeeming the relationship, so we're like, oh, okay, like let's let's see. So it's paid ads through social media and some like big partnerships where we've got to spend some money to like advertise it.
0: That's amazing, though. That's it's so amazing. So I want I'm I, I want to be mindful of our time, but I I want to I want you to kind of walk us through like you know who's listening to this. We are entrepreneurs. We are founders, and you have built an amazing business. From the ground up, very grassroots marketing, and you sold it. and so, if you could give three like actionable tips to the people who are listening and things that they should and could consider when they're thinking of their own businesses, I want you to walk us through those tips.
1: um I oh gosh, I only three. Um, you can give I, more. You yeah, can give five I think. <laughs> I'd be curious if you agree on a couple of these, um, you know, for me, it was always just kind of checking myself and checking to make sure that like, I was still good with where things stood with the business, with my relationships, with my employees. It's that's the hardest part, right? It's just navigating the like work-life balance. Is this what I want? I think it's, this is a great example of yeah, I started this as just a fun thing because I really liked organizing and I think, you know, 11 years later, I'm like, oh wow, like I am a full-time working mom. I've had two kids while running this. Like I I didn't expect it, but somehow it it was it it motivated me. It made me want to keep going. And I think the advice or tip I would say is that if there is a time that it's no longer motivating you, it's okay to like walk away or it's yeah. okay to recognize that and then say like, yeah, this isn't fulfilling me anymore. So I am still here because it's still fulfilling me. And I still want to see where else this can go. Um, so let's say that's kind of tip number one and two, I guess, like, And I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, I think that it's still, it's, it's still in the same vein, I guess, just asking yourself, like, what are the goals still? Like why, like, what are we here doing? What do we want to accomplish? I think what's really hard as an entrepreneur. And I, I said this earlier in this call is like, sometimes you don't really know. Sometimes you're like, I don't know what my goal is. Like I get asked all the time, like, well, what are you, how many franchises do you actually want? And how many retailers do you want to be in? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of just here for the ride and we're going to keep working and we're going to keep being scrappy and coming coming up with it. When when the demand is there, we're going to keep going. Is kind of how we feel. Um, keeping in mind, obviously like quality and not letting things get out of control. Um, so I think it's a matter of, trying your best through outside resources, friendships, family, to continue to ask like, what do we want this to become? Um, Because sometimes as an entrepreneur, I think it can feel like it's just going, 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 and you don't necessarily have like an end vision. Um, I remember it was actually Molly's husband. And he was like, I mean, you're not going to do neat method forever, are you? And I'm like, uh, I mean, yeah, I am. Right. Aren't I like, isn't this what I'm going to do forever? And he's like, well, I don't know. I just don't, I think you have other things in you to like come up with more. And I'm like, I can't imagine this not, I mean, this is it, technically it's my first baby. And then I had two more, Right. Um, but it, I, th- that's the part where I'm like, I can't, sometimes it becomes so much your life that what does that look like outside of it? And I think, I mean, this kind of goes with what I said first, but it's like just continuing to just ask what is working and what is not. Well, and I was going to say, it it definitely
0: dovetails into what you said first because you you need to make sure you have more in you and that there is still something you're striving for, for sure. Yeah,
1: don't be afraid. Let's put it that way. Like, you're not going to, you can't mess up you're, you're the entrepreneur. Like you're not going to mess up it. You, it, I think all along the way you like take different steps. I think, you know, I'd be curious if you would say the same thing on this too, Lynn's, but I, um, I have never taken a break ever. I haven't either. I know. Like to where my third business partner, who was our first employee in Chicago, Marissa, who you might remember, she is now a co-founder partner with me. Um, Molly is inactive. She's kind of more a silent partner and Marissa and I still run all of Neat method. And was Marissa
0: actually, who came with you to my house?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she, um, always is like, Ash, you've got to take breaks. I'm like, I don't know what it is, but I can't like, you know, neat method was mine that I kind of, you know, I started it in Chicago a little bit before I even moved to San Francisco, but that's a whole different story. Um, and I have never stopped. And I'm like, I recognize that that's unhealthy. I don't, don't, I'm not discrediting that. I just don't know how to stop. I've had several coaches and mentors. I mean, you name it. And I'm like, I don't think i have it in my blood to like take a sabbatical. Like, I don't, do I want to? Yes. Do I aspire to? Yes. But like, I would challenge other entrepreneurs to try to Get out of their comfort zone and try to be a little more disciplined with stuff and
0: it's like hard because I think as an entrepreneur as a founder, you you're we're all kind of wired very similarly, and that is to not stop and to your point i I did not stop for nine years, and then when we were acquired, not that I stopped, I didn't stop, but what I did do and and this was like kind of like a little step in the right direction was. I started using my vacation time. I was now an employee Uh and I started to use my vacation time. And, and not that we didn't vacation when I had bump club on my own, but you, you know, when you have your own business, things kind of need to be running and you feel like even with employees, like you you still feel like you have to be available and around and it's harder to take the vacation.
1: And I think, and I'd be curious, which you and I will have coffee over this one, but I'd be curious, like, I think because nothing changed for me, even though I sold 55% of my company, nothing changed. Like I was still making the decisions. I was still in control. There was no one, there's still no one overseeing us. It's still us. So I think like, I don't feel any different. So I think, I mean, I do, and I don't, don't get me wrong, but I definitely am kind of like, yeah, nothing really changed. Which again, you hear, you heard before the pros and the woes, where you're like, I mean, that's good and bad, right? Where you're like, yeah, I mean, why did I do that if nothing changed? But in a way, I'm like, I can't. I, I feel like I'm having. you also love. said
0: like you love the life that you're living and it fulfills you, and so I think there's right. something to be said for that as well, right? right? Like,
1: yeah. So I I think that I would challenge an entrepreneur to find. As much balance that works for you. I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm good. I don't need more balance, but I need more balance. I mean, I, I think every entrepreneur does. Um, and it's hard to shut off. Yeah, 1000%. It is. And I actually, I have to be honest, I look forward to the day that I can. And you will. I know.
0: I, you, oh, will. I will. you will get there. I mean, you will absolutely get there. Yes. So the last thing I want to ask you is, what are the goals still and where is this going and what do you still want to accomplish what's next i mean you guys have products they're they're going to be in some of your favorite stores you're in 90 plus different markets i mean where is this going
1: so luckily i can say we will only be expanding in north america we get contacted weekly for other countries and whatnot to try to franchise we we really have no we don't have the bandwidth or desire to really keep that going so canada and the us will really kind of be our our like service-based business um i in terms of how many Let's just say we have seven just in Chicago, which is about a 30 mile radius. And Chicago is one of our only markets that has that. And if you think of all the major cities, you could obviously, you kind of can do the math. Yeah. So, but don't plan on really slowing down franchising. We are not seeking out franchisees, meaning from a advertising standpoint, we never will. We we like that it's an organic still that they find us. So we're gonna keep going. Um I don't want to necessarily oversaturate, but to me, it's not a matter of oversaturating. It's a matter of continuing the, like keeping the quality person and the quality service Um, products. I mean, we just got started. Like I, this is going to be huge for you guys. I I mean, I know it. I don't even know like how we, how products is happening the way it is right now, let alone five years from now. Um, I will be honest that I actually think there could be another acquisition in the future, Um, and I am not afraid of that.
0: That's amazing. Oh,
1: thank yeah. you, thank you for sharing all of this
0: with us and for letting us be a part of your ride and for oh my gosh, joining our ride. And I'm I mean, so honored that you asked. This is so fun. I mean, I, I love your story. I love everything you stand for, and I I am so. Grateful that you were able to do this today and be here. I know I how busy it. you are. So I'll write Ashley Murphy, thank you so much. Um, for everyone listening, you want to go follow at Neat Method. And I will tell you, if you are looking for home organizing services, you want to go to neatmethod.com, right? Yeah, yep. And you wanna find your local friend, your local Neat Method provider and um, and sign up because I'm telling you, they, it will change your life. Living in an organized space has changed mine. And I know that when you came into my office and you you created an office for me, that's what happened when I had no office and I was working at Starbucks on Armitage and Huyin every day, you created an office for me in one of my extra bedrooms at the time. I only had one child. And it it made a huge difference in my productivity. And I think that is like the end result for your services as you make people productive and you make people live and in just a happier life because they're not filled with clutter anymore. So um, neatmethod.com, Ashley, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Catching up with an old friend is always a treat. And today's conversation was no exception. Ashley Murphy has an incredible story and founder journey, and I'm so glad that she was able to share it with you. Some key takeaways from today's conversation with Ashley, and there were so many. Number one, when you have a service-based business based in one location, start with one market, use trial and error, see how it works, and apply it to another city and make adjustments. Number two, build trust with those who you're allowing to expand your business. Scaling a service with new people isn't about the actual method, it's about who the person is that's performing the service, how professional and poised are they, and can they leave a job with their reputation intact? You can't teach someone how to behave or what their personality should be. Ask yourself, can you hang out with this person? Number three, when you have a service-based business, the biggest question is how can we make every client trust the person coming into their home? There is a lot of time spent making sure the professionalism is there so that the brand reputation stays intact. Number four, When going through an acquisition, talk to others. You wanna hear the pros and the woes. There are things that you go through emotionally and there are a lot of changes. Number five, through an acquisition process, you will learn that you're a lot more capable than you think. When you are scrappy, you figure it out, even if it's completely unattainable. Number six, when you are so in the weeds, it's hard to step back and realize what you're actually doing and how far you've come. Number seven, When you have a franchise, the franchisee wants you to tell them exactly what to do. Putting rules and goals into place is a good thing and benefits everyone. Number eight, if you have a service-based company, what are products that you could produce to complement your service? This could create another revenue stream. Number nine, connections and partnerships are found in the least likely of places. Having a team of friends and cheerleaders, especially other founders, helps a ton. Number 10, Clients might be different across the country, but your resources to get the clients are not. You wanna create partnerships with people who make sense. Number 11, when you're a service-based business, be natural and organic, and you will see that people want and need your service, but don't force it upon them. Number 12, check yourself. Are you good with the way things are going in your business, with your relationships with your employees and your work-life balance? Make sure that you continue to say yes. Stay on your path if it's still fulfilling for you. Number 13, try your best through outside resources, friendships, family, and ask yourself, what is it that you really want this to become? Number 14, find as much balance that works for you. It's okay to take a break and it's okay to shut off. I cannot thank you enough for being here and for joining us on today's episode of Dear Founder. Make sure you follow at Lindsay Pinchuk and at Dear Found Her on Instagram. You can also go to LindsayPinchuck.com slash freebie to download some of my tips, tools, and resources for starting a business and for managing the social media beast. Don't forget, join the Dear Founder Facebook community for more discussions to help propel your success. I go live there regularly to share lessons and to answer your questions. Plus, That's where I'll be putting all of the info about my upcoming Small Business Marketing Bootcamp Workshop taking place in February. We have some amazing, amazing guests coming up. So please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen. If you know someone who wants to start their own business like Ashley or who started a business or who has an amazing idea for a business, text them this episode or post it on your Instagram tag me. I'll reshare some of those to say thank you. I'll be back next week with another episode of Dear Founder.